0: From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and SiriusXM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on SiriusXM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here is your host, founding director of Wharton's work-life integration project, and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman.
1: Roger Schwarz is an organizational psychologist. He's a great speaker. He's a team consultant, works with leadership teams, all kinds of teams, and he's president and CEO of his own company. It's called Roger Schwarz & Associates. That's S-C-H-W-A-R-Z. He works with all different kinds of organizations in technology, manufacturing, medical organizations, government agencies, He's the author of some wonderful and really practical books. I'm going to name two of them and recommend them to you strongly. One is Smart Leaders, Smarter Teams, How You and Your Teams Get Unstuck and Get Results. And that's for leaders at any level, in any organization. You can use this stuff to make your teams better. And if you are interested in learning What it means to be a skilled facilitator, this is the classic, the benchmark for the field, Roger's book, The Skilled Facilitator, a comprehensive resource for consultants, facilitators, coaches, and trainers. I use Roger's material in my courses on leading teams at the Wharton School. I teach the team's electives for our undergrads, our full-time MBA students, and our executive MBA students. Rogers' material is central to that work, and it is used all over because it is so practical and values driven. Indeed, underlying all of Rogers' work is the premise that to create fundamental and sustainable change, people need to first change, well, not just their behavior, but their mindset, and that's where we begin. In this conversation, but we take it further and get to the practical. Indeed, uh, towards the end of the conversation, Roger works with somebody who called into the radio show and illustrates the power of his ideas and tools. Roger is the uh, former tenured professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He holds a PhD in organizational psychology from the University of Michigan which is where he and I met and became friends well over three decades ago. Uh, and he also has a master's of education from Harvard University. All right, get set to listen, learn, and be transformed by the wisdom, the great ideas of Roger Schwartz on how to lead effective teams, how to build more effective relationships in all parts of life to improve Your performance, not just at work and in your teams, but in all the different relationships that matter to you. Welcome back to Work and Life. Thanks, Stu. It's great to be
2: with
3: you.
1: Yes. Well, it's great to have you here. Uh, Let's kick this off tonight with just a brief description, if you will, of the mutual learning approach. What is it and what does it accomplish?
3: Simply put, Stu, the mutual learning approach is a way to think that is a set of values and assumptions that you use to think, your mindset, that really guide and inform how you act and that get you three kinds of results. First result is improved performance, however you're defining performance in the setting in which you're working and acting second result is working relationships, improved working relationships with whoever you're working with. And the third result is uh, more positive individual well-being so that you're feeling more motivated, more satisfied, less stressed. That's the essence of mutual learning.
1: So that is a great promise and I know that it is effective because I've I've seen it work, I've used it. Let's, let's explore a little further what this means to think differently. So describe, if you will, what the core values and assumptions are of this approach and, and why it's worth our listeners thinking about how they might uh, try those values and assumptions on.
3: Sure. So the core values of mutual learning and the core assumptions of mutual learning are pretty straightforward. There are five values. They are transparency curiosity, informed choice, where you're helping others and yourself make good decisions based on good information, accountability, holding yourself and others accountable, and doing all of those four things with compassion for yourself and for others. Mm -hmm. And then there is a set of corollary assumptions. Uh, These are things that you assume as you're working with other people. And the five assumptions are, I have information. So do other people. I'm not the only one who knows things. Second is that each of us may see things that others don't. So you may see things in a conversation that I missed and vice versa. Third is that people may disagree with me and still have pure motives. Just because someone sees something differently doesn't mean they have a hidden agenda. doesn't mean they're trying to do something at my expense. fourth assumption I think is really a really critical assumption is that differences are opportunities for learning. When you're with people who have different views, different perspectives on the issue that you're trying to work on, those are not barriers necessarily. They are opportunities for figuring out what do other people know, how can we take what other people know and what I know and integrate it into a way that we can not only work better together, but get a better product, a better service, whatever it is. And the last assumption is that I may be contributing to the problem. In other words, Uh, When you're in a conversation, when you're in a meeting, and things aren't going like you would like them to go, which all of us have had uh, experience with, if we've been in the workplace or even before we got in the workplace, if you're having that feeling, it's not going well, mutual learning says look inside. Don't just look outside. Instead, just say, okay, how how might I be contributing to the mm-hmm. very problems I'm complaining about, either privately or publicly. So that's the essence of mutual learning. Uh, and it's, it's pretty simple, uh, it's pretty intuitive, it's just a lot harder to
1: do yes. than it sounds like. And, yes, well, it, it all does make sense, of course, and it is in the, um, the execution, if you will, or the, the bringing to life in, in one's everyday uh, relationships. Uh, that it is sometimes challenging, uh, particularly with people who we feel are trying to hurt us in some way, or, or who are in you know fundamental disagreement. Um, so you you teach people how to adopt or at least try on these values and assumptions, which are perhaps you know in all of us to to take on as as values and assumptions that we want to live by. Uh, but they're not, they're not as commonly held uh, by most of the people we, we interact with as we would like. So uh, let, let me ask, why is it that most people don't act according to values and assumptions like these?
3: So the way I think about it, and I think uh, it's consistent with uh, research and my experience with clients, is that at times all of us use a mutual learning approach. Not only are we all capable of that for the most part, but um, there are times when we have relationships with folks and we're at work where we are operating from that mindset, that set of values and assumptions. And many of us often espouse those values and assumptions uh, even when we don't live up to them. So, so I want to be clear, uh, it's not like this is some holy grail we're trying to achieve and it's, you know, it, it's not quite reachable. We are capable of doing this and we do this and we can all point to that. The challenge is this. The challenge is that when we're in challenging situations, almost all of us, the research shows that almost all of us uh, use an approach, a mindset different than mutual learning, which is called unilateral control. And my work Mutual learning and unilateral control builds on the work of Chris Argyris, founder of field of organization development, one of the founders of the field, and probably the founder of field of organizational learning. And so mm-hmm. his research really identified these two approaches.
1: That's called Chris Argyris. Let those. me just spell that right. for people who are now out sure. there googling. Right. It's A R G Y R I S. Correct?
3: Right. Exactly. Chris uh, People Ardress. find it difficult pronounced, but it's Argyris. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so. Refer to these unilateral control as model one and mutual learning as model two. Uh, but the idea is when we're in challenging situations, situations that are in some way threatening, embarrassing, high stakes for us, where other people have different views than we do, we almost always act out of a unilateral control mindset and approach. Uh, and that mindset, is very different from the mutual learning approach mindset. So the unilateral control mindset has values like win, don't lose. Be right. When people are disagreeing with you, what you want to do is you want to win, you want to be right, and you want to try to minimize the expression of negative feelings. You don't want to bring feelings up because in the professional workplace, feelings are often seen as inappropriate. Don't go there. Nothing good can come of it. Now, so we act very rational about this. We can deal with this on a strictly logical basis. I'll make my argument, and it will win the day. So those are the values we operate from. And then we have a set of assumptions very different from mutual learning. So the assumptions are things like, I understand the situation, and if you disagree with me, it's because you don't understand it.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And therefore, I'm You're either I'm right. too
1: stupid or just wrong.
3: Exactly right. And therefore, I'm right, and you're wrong. Right? Mm-hmm. So the beautiful thing about uh unilateral controlling approach is that uh, the only way you can really show me that you understand is to agree with me. Right? Now you get it, Stu, you agree with mm-hmm. me. Uh, and then the, the piece about motives is I've got pure motives, and if you disagree with me, your motives are suspect. I don't know what you're trying to do, but it's probably not a good thing. And therefore, whatever my feelings are toward you and whatever my behaviors are to you are justified. Because I am just doing what I need to do, given that you're not being a rational, Mm -hmm. productive person in this conversation. And finally, I'm not contributing to the problem.
1: Right. So I have to beat you into submission, basically, so that you you, you see things in the correct way.
3: Exactly. And, and we all use this unilateral control approach, whether we have the most power in the room, no power in the room, somewhere in between, okay? And that leads to the opposite of the results we're trying to get, even as we are hunkered down in the unilateral control.
1: And w- what and do you mean tr- by that? Because well, uh, shouldn't we just be arguing it out so that the best idea wins, Roger, if I can be devil's advocate here? Uh,
3: you know, it's, it, that's an interesting approach. The problem is, um, if you're a really good arguer, and you're working with people who have really good ideas but aren't nearly as articulate about their ideas as you are, Mm -hmm. not as compelling, then the best idea doesn't win. But the best person who can articulate it wins. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, often it's not the best idea that makes the difference. It is the ideas of people who have different perspectives that is better than any one idea.
1: Mm-hmm. And we lose
3: that when that happens. And so I, in fact. When it's
1: win-lose, and, it, and it's. Yeah, it, exactly. It, you lose I, the benefit of uh, of generating multiple perspectives and coming up with creative solutions.
3: Exactly, so if you're, if you're, whether you're a CEO or any leader who is working with people who have less power and authority than you, mm-hmm. and you will maybe more articulate than they are, Mm -hmm. it's easy to win a conversation and get poor performance and poor working relationships than you really should be able to get. So I wrote a piece uh, not too long ago about how leaders miss opportunities to work effectively Mm -hmm. because they don't show other people, they don't invite other people or tell other people how they can be influenced. It's a great article.
1: The The title, if I'm not mistaken, How Leaders Can Help Others Influence Them.
3: Exactly. We think of leadership as simply influencing others. We teach that in business schools, but we don't think about leadership as helping others learn how to influence us.
1: So Roger, what kinds of problems do people come to you with? Like, what's What's the typical presenting problem that you get from people who call for your services?
3: There are several kinds of problems that our clients typically come to us with. One is a team-focused problem, which is we have a team. It's a high-stakes team, either because it's a very senior leadership team or because it is a team that's doing something that is critical and central to the mission of the organization, and they are not getting the performance they need, the results that they need, or their working relationships are undermining their performance, or in some cases, Mm -hmm. uh, the individual well-being is so poor that um, people don't want to be part of that team anymore. Mm -hmm. And So then the question becomes, how do we take a team that's already uh, focused and help them learn to think differently and work differently with each other to get the results they're not getting? That's one scenario. A second is, an organization that is more broadly trying to change the way it works not only within teams but across teams and has a culture that is at odds with effective performance and working relationships Uh, because ultimately when we are working with our clients and helping them change the way that we they think what we're really doing is helping them change the culture of either their team and or their organizations because culture, in the organizational sense, is simply the shared values and assumptions that a group of people operate from and that guide their behavior. Mm -hmm. And so, ultimately, this work is about changing culture, either changing the culture of the team, changing the culture of the organization, and also changing your own mindset that generates all that. So those are the the main kinds of issues. Those those are big
1: issues. So what do you do? How do you help people uh, deal with those issues, in, in, a, in a way that enables them to create meaningful uh, change that lasts?
3: Well, we use a variety of approaches. Uh, we, as a consulting firm, we consult with folks, we facilitate, we coach them, we offer training, but all of those approaches, we also uh, do a team assessments. all of those approaches are really designed to do several things. Uh, the first is, in order to change the way you think so that you can get better results,
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, you have to be aware of what your thinking is,
2: mm-hmm.
3: what, uh, what in the field is called metacognition. Right? We have to be able to think about how we think. Mm-hmm. If you can't do that, then you can't change the way you think. And so one of the things we help people do is to learn how to become av- aware of what the values and assumptions are that are driving their behavior and getting them the results they don't want. So we teach people how to do that. Mm -hmm. We have a pretty straightforward approach so they can look at their own conversations. They can look at their own writings and emails and say, wow, I didn't realize that I spent 15 and 20 or 20 minutes with this person. I didn't ask them one question. I wasn't curious Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. How could I possibly learn? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's the first thing.
1: You have them examine their own experience to discover Uh, what their real approach is. They might say that they're open and curious and generous and compassionate, but when they actually look at what they do, they see perhaps a different story. Exactly.
3: And and the way that we do that, I think, is important because in our work, we are always having our clients use their own cases, their own data, mm-hmm. their own examples of mm-hmm. conversations to analyze. So there's never this question of, well, this isn't realistic. It's not really me. It's them. They mm-hmm. bring this, these things to, the, to us. We help them learn how to look at them. And that's very powerful for them. So this might there's work in technology, but
1: not in financial services, Roger. I'm sorry. I don't think it's going to work here. You, you must hear things like that, right? Uh,
3: yes, uh, we've we've heard that. We also have heard uh, uh, this is uh, you know we're we're a very rigorous organization. We are uh, you know we, we don't like touchy feely stuff. I'm, I'm, we're concerned about this, and I think what our clients find out is uh, this approach is very rigorous. I like to say that I, I think of this work as a scientific approach, scientific method, I should say, of how you work with other people in teams and organizations. So
1: you know, this uh, is, is such a powerful method, and we're talking about how how you help people to learn uh, to adopt a, a different kind of mindset, one that is is based on uh, not me beating you with my ideas and, and, uh, and submerging your input, but rather uh, creating an environment in which we both are learning and producing the best results for us and for the people we serve. Um, I wonder if you could say more about uh, how you teach people these these ways of thinking and, and being. Um, and, and I just want to reemphasize that the eight behaviors that you teach, the first one, stating your views, asking genuine questions, it's so simple and yet so incredibly powerful to, to take that seriously and to reveal to people, here's what I'm thinking, what are you thinking? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's in some ways not much more complicated than that, right?
3: It's not that much more complicated than that. Exactly. And as you said, it is very hard to do. I often uh tell our clients, if you're in a meeting and you're either bored or you don't really have anything you need to do, take out a piece of paper yeah. and divide it into three columns. The first column says statement. The second column says questions. The third column says statement and questions. And then Every time someone talks, just put a little mark in one of the columns and see what you have at the end of the meeting. Hmm. And you will find almost all the time that by far the column with the most marks is the one that says just state views, because we're really good at learning how to state our views.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so meetings look like a series of monologues. One person says something, another person says something else, a third person says something. And sometimes these comments aren't even related. And meetings at least effective meetings ostensibly are supposed to be about solving problems and making decisions which means the comments need to relate to each other and there's a very simple way to do that you state your view and as you said you then stop put a period there and you say uh... you know what problems do you see with what i'm suggesting anyone seeing any of this differently is there something i hadn't thought of true well crafted powerful questions really genuine questions you begin to develop a conversation, a dialogue. And mm-hmm. that's really the power of conversation and teams. You know, it all starts with that. And the, the other thing I would add to that is, in addition to stating your views and asking genuine questions, as you state your view, you explain your reasoning. Why am I mm-hmm. saying this?
2: Mm-hmm. You
3: know, then people understand what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. And when I ask a question, I begin to understand what they're thinking. And what that gives you is a pool of common information, yep. which is the basis; it's the foundation for all effective problem solving and decision making.
1: I mean, it's a bad information sharing. That's I mean, if you're exactly. interdependent, you're trying to do something together. You have got to be sharing information, and most of the problems in teams has to, have to do with, or a good chunk of them have to do with, information not being shared. Uh, so the you know, just asking questions is almost as bad as just making statements, right?
3: Absolutely. And uh, our experience is that when people do ask questions, they're often not genuine. So mm-hmm. there are two kinds. We can categorize questions. You don't really types. think
1: that, do you, Roger?
3: <laughs> that's exactly a great example. Thank you for that, Stu. I, <laughs> mm-hmm. I know that was uh, design and sarcastic, so yes.
2: thank
3: you. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah. But that, that's that's the perfect uh, non-genuine question. You don't really think that, do you? Mm-hmm. And. We, when we ask non-genuine questions, a couple things happen. You know, we are s- essentially signaling what we are thinking and putting it in the form of a question, but not saying that's what we're thinking. So we're not being accountable and transparent. That's two of the mutual learning core values we're not using. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, people on the receiving end know that we're signaling to them our point of view, but not being accountable, Mm -hmm. and that gets them defensive. Hmm. And then we wonder why people get defensive. And Again, this is a great simple example of how we may be contributing to the very problems we're complaining about. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we do is we teach people, again, it seems pretty simple, right? We teach people how to ask genuine questions that are really designed to understand something they don't understand and need to know. Well, what if Not your boss is an anything.
1: asshole who doesn't want to hear from you, and just just says what he thinks or she thinks, and, and doesn't want to, you know, be uh, questioned? Right. So uh, you
3: are now raising the stakes because you're you're going to what may be an undiscussable issue if it's your boss. Mm-hmm. Um, that the undiscuss, discuss undiscussable issues is actually the eighth of the eight behaviors in yes. mutual learning, and so it means uh, having a conversation with your boss saying. Uh, this is what uh, I'm here. I've heard you say, you know, in this conversation and maybe in previous conversations. And you use specific examples of what you've heard him or her say, using specific examples. By the way, is the third mutual learning behavior, so people know exactly what you're talking
1: about. So important to do that.
3: Absolutely, because otherwise you're talking abstractly, right? Mm-hmm. So you say, I, you know, I, I heard you say this and this. Did I get that right? The person says, yeah. So you can say, so. I'm thinking when you say that, you may not want to hear my views on the topic. Is that right? Mm. And you have to say that. That's an inference you're making, right? Mm -hmm. That's the sixth behavior. You want to test out your inference. That's not The inference
1: there being, I'm thinking that you may not want to hear it. Right. Unless, Unless the person says to you,
3: do, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they say that, that's not an inference. That's data. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, people don't say that. Mm-hmm. And so we make up a story about what it means. So we make have up to a check story. out those
1: stories. Mm-hmm. The right? stories in our heads exactly, that lead us to, to places that might not be real. Exactly. Or at and least, that's another
3: way we contribute to the problem.
1: At least connected to, 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 to the conversation. We have an email from Julie from Cinnamonson, who writes... Uh, This just came in. I'm a new manager. I get what you're saying, but how do you, as the one in charge, moderate a meeting where you ask people to state their views and a discussion starts? I feel like that could get overwhelming and confusing. Roger, what do you have to say to Julie?
3: The first thing I would say, Julie, is it's really important to be clear about the purpose of the meeting. Mm -hmm. If the purpose of the meeting is to have a discussion that leads to solving a problem, making a decision, taking advantage of an opportunity, mm-hmm. then you want discussion. And so then a question I would ask you would be, if, if you want discussion and you're concerned that it breaks out, are you concerned that discussion breaks out, or are you concerned when, when about...
1: When you say break out, Roger, let me just jump in here. What do you mean, yeah. discussion well, breaks way, out?
3: It sounds like it sounds like Julie is saying that she's concerned that uh, there's lots of discussion that goes on, mm-hmm. and I what I'm suggesting is... Discussion is the very thing you want in a meeting. In other words, meeting time is scarce, mm-hmm. it's hard to come by, and mm-hmm. it's expensive when you bring people together. It is expensive. So, so effective meetings, for the most part, use most of their time to do things you can't do outside of a meeting. And that means having people think divergently about ideas. Divergently. And, Right. And then ultimately convergently coming together Mm -hmm. and saying, yeah, this makes sense given our discussion. So to diverge, of course, means
1: to go in different directions, and to converge means to come together and agree. Exactly. And that's typically the path of many good meetings. People start
3: off with divergent views,
2: Mm -hmm.
3: and then the task is to come together and ideally Mm -hmm. reach agreement and commitment to that. And so what I would say to Julie is if you're having meetings where you're concerned because people are discussing issues um, when they shouldn't be discussing issues, then I think you may have a more fundamental problem, which is you're not using meeting time well Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
3: because you're using it to download information, which can be done outside of a meeting and uses people's time and As opposed to having a
1: conversation. So, Susanna is calling from uh, Northern California. Susanna, welcome to Work and Life.
0: Yes, I had a question for the organizational psychologist. Mm -hmm. What if you're a member of a team and you think alike, but your manager thinks differently? So you have a lot of conversations, I wouldn't say behind your manager's back, but you're all in a consensus. But in a meeting, you're afraid to say anything because if you do, it's her show or his show and... You're on the outs. How would you handle that situation?
1: Great question, Susanna. Roger, what do you think? So, uh, Susanna, let me ask, can
3: I ask you a couple of questions to get some clarification? It sounds sure. like it sounds like uh, the individuals who report to your manager are in consensus, and your manager has a different view, a different idea of how, how to proceed. Is that correct? Have I got that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. And so what is it, that leads you to be concerned about talking about and exploring the difference between what your manager is thinking and what you and your peers are thinking? And I'm asking because that's part of the mindset that may make it difficult to have a productive conversation.
0: Mm -hmm. I think it's just a myriad of things that have come up. Um, I raised some questions and I was held held over after the meeting. Uh, before a jury of my peers, and I, they were asked if what I asked was an attack on one of the team members. And I thought it was just a very generalized question, and then I was judged, so I, I'm not asking questions anymore.
2: Ah, uh,
3: okay. So let's take that example, because it speaks... I think very well to some of the things Stu was asking about earlier, right? If when someone says to you, you know, I think you are, um, you are judging other team members or you are, um, saying something that's in it, um, not appropriate about them, those weren't your words, but the, um, sort of paraphrasing, okay? The first thing that I think is helpful to do with your manager is to say, uh, assuming this is true. I wasn't aware that uh, I didn't think I was doing that. Can you tell me exactly what I said or did that led you to describe it that way? Because that'll give me a better idea of what you're talking about. That is an example of using specific examples and agreeing on what important words mean. And it comes from the mindset of being curious.
1: Susanna? Well, in
0: this case, I asked the the person who she thought I attacked and she's like I didn't have a problem with your question
1: mm-hmm. right and
0: i went to my manager and she's like well i had a problem with the question well huh, i mean i don't know you can't win and i've just decided <laughs> that it's not worth well it. so here it's a manager's show
3: so so that so here's an example where uh, i think what you're pointing out well is who you ask questions to becomes really critical, because the person who was concerned about you was your manager, right? And the person who had the the data, she, I mean, the, your manager thought, well, I thought that was not appropriate, even though the person who you were speaking about thought it was fine. We have a saying in mutual learning, which is a saying from another field of systems thinking, which says you get the system in the room and you solve the problem where the information is. That you know, we would deal with by saying, let's get the three of us together for two minutes in conversation. And you, manager, share what your concern was. And then we'll see uh, whether the person who I was talking about also had a concern. And then Mm -hmm. we can see where we go from there, which is what a
0: joint design looks like.
1: What do you you think, Susanna? Do you think you could do that?
0: That's awesome. I appreciate the advice. I'll take that if this should come up again. But I doubt it will because I'm not going to raise my hand. It's not worth it.
1: Are you... Roger, is there something yeah, else you want so, to ask about?
0: Yeah, so
3: here's, here is how teams begin to reduce their effectiveness in their working relationships, which is, you had an experience with your manager, it didn't go well. He or she was saying you know, something to you that you thought wasn't valid, and you didn't come to an agreement about that, mm-hmm. and it wasn't resolved, so you've got this unproductive conflict. And you are now, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an inference about you, and you can tell me whether I'm right or wrong. I'm checking it out with you, Susanna. So now it looks like you have some story about your manager about how she, it's a, it's a woman, right? Yeah. How she she is not open to your ideas, and therefore you will,
0: you will not be sh-
3: sharing them as openly as you have in the past. Is that, is that a fair description of, of how you're thinking about this?
0: Yes, that is a fair description
3: so in mutual learning there's this idea of accountability to ourselves and others and this idea of leading from every chair that in other words if you're a member of a team and something isn't working effectively instead of withdrawing which is also a way of acting unilateral by the way instead of withdrawing you raise the issue and you discuss it and so here's uh, a really important moment for you potentially in the life of your relationship in that team To talk with your manager and others about what had happened, to be curious about how they were seeing it and how you were seeing it, and to figure out how do we create a situation in the future where people have uh, differences about what we're seeing going on, we can talk about that openly and productively. Because, and this is something you could share as part of your reasoning, because I want to be a good participant Mm -hmm. in this team. I think I have the good ideas. I'm thinking that you have me on this team because you see me as being valuable. If that's not the case, we have a larger conversation. But assuming that that is true, mm-hmm. um, then let's figure out how we can work together so our differences actually end up being an asset rather than a liability. And so what you're, your, your question is a great one because it describes what many people on teams experience, and
2: all, the they time. Use
3: that experience yeah, all the time right and they use that experience to make inferences about their manager or other people and then that leads them to act in ways that they themselves don't want to act
2: mm-hmm.
3: right?
2: yeah and my your sense individual susanna
3: well-being suffers and that's right. also not good what do you think about what i'm saying
0: well i think it's uh You know, you're an organizational psychologist. Obviously, you see that because that's good advice. What I didn't appreciate was her sitting down with my Mm -hmm. teammates and asking if she thought what I said to that colleague was fair. And they said, I don't know. I think she was just thinking out loud.
2: Right.
3: Mm -hmm. And that wasn't fair because she didn't jointly design that part of the conversation with you and the other person. And she. And and that's a simple move, to say, let's get the three of us in the room. And you could say to her, in the future, would you be willing to do that? So we could all hear the same information at the same time. Any concerns about doing that?
0: Good advice. That's good advice. And wow. I appreciate your, your help today. I, I was really helped by that. You're awesome. you Thank, thank th- you so much.
1: That, thank you for calling, Suzanne. I really appreciate it. Uh, and, and, and appreciate your listening to our show, Work and Life. So, Roger, thank you for helping Susanna. Uh, what happened there in in this last uh, five minutes or so in your conversation with her? Well, uh, let me ask, what, what did you do, and what was the effect that it had?
2: Yeah,
3: so um, when Susanna was describing this interaction in the team, and she made a comment to her, Uh, About someone else on the team that the manager thought was inappropriate or unproductive, right? And then the manager talked to Susanna and didn't talk to Susanna with the other person,
2: right?
3: And it turned out the other person had no concern. That stuff goes on, (laughs) that's the technical term, that stuff goes on all the time in Mm -hmm. teams because. And what I, what, what I was doing with Susanna, mm-hmm. was what we were talking about earlier, Stu, what I was asking her to think about is how she was thinking in the situation, right? She had gotten frustrated with her manager. She had made, um, she had basically just thought to herself, you know, I understand the situation. The situation is that my manager doesn't want me to do something, not only then, but in the future. And then made a decision on her own how she was going to
2: respond, mm-hmm. which is I'm
3: going to withdraw. Okay? Right. So that's an action she's going to take based upon a story that she's told herself that she hasn't tested out for its validity, and that is a very common thing. And so I'm what it's I'm helping so
1: destructive year, in so many and, levels. Exactly for her for the team.
3: Absolutely. I, we have a saying in our organization; uh, it's popular in other places. Uh, Don't believe everything you think.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. And so Mm. part of this is to help her realize, oh, so yeah, I was thinking this, but I didn't say this to her, so I wasn't being transparent. So Mm -hmm. that's my contribution, which is not being transparent and not Also not asking her as my boss to be accountable to me and this other team member.
1: But this takes courage, does it not, Roger? It absolutely does. Because as you could tell, we only have a minute or so left here, Roger, but you you can tell that, at least I inferred from the way that Susanna was presenting her story, that she was fearful of speaking up and that it was easier to um, protect herself by, by simply withdrawing.
3: Absolutely. And that's where the undiscussable issues come in, which is if you're fearful about saying something that you think is would be helpful to talk about, then the first thing you say is, I want to talk to you, and I also want to let you know I'm concerned about talking about this because I don't know whether mm-hmm. you're going to let me do this or whether I'm going to pay a
1: price. Mm-hmm. So uh, that requires some courage restraint. there, too, though, to be vulnerable to, enough to, and, and courageous enough to say, I'm not sure how this is going to go. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm anxious. To, to reveal that thinking and those feelings is is uh, in, in many ways countercultural in many organizations.
3: It is, and also people have a good reason to be anxious because many of them haven't developed the skill set to really have the conversation mm-hmm. productively or the mindset that would drive that skill set. Yes. And that's what the, this work is about.
1: Roger, thank you so much for joining me again on the show. It's been a pleasure and uh, always learning from you. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
3: Same thing here, Stu.
1: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Roger Schwartz, and that it stimulated some new ideas for you about how to, how to communicate, how to have conversations with people who matter that bring to those conversations greater transparency, curiosity, the conditions for informed choice, accountability, and compassion, the values that underlie the mutual learning approach. So here is a challenge for you, an invitation. Why not try to have a conversation sometime in the next few days with someone, perhaps on one of your teams, could be somebody outside of work, um, an important relationship where what you try to do is enact the first of the eight key behaviors in the mutual learning approach that Roger Schwarz has so helpfully described, illustrated, and taught. And that first behavior is state your views and ask genuine questions. So you say what you think or what you've observed, and then you genuinely inquire. Here's what I think. What do you think? Here's what I've seen. What I'm I'm missing. What do you see that I don't see? That is the heart of it. And just trying that out, it's a very powerful method of building trust, of generating new information that helps two people or more in teams get to the information that they need to solve problems together, create new solutions, uh, uh, make better decisions and to build their relationships. Any change in the world that you want to make starts, starts with you. And how you think. And bringing that to life through these behaviors can be a helpful way to start to really change your thinking. And to try to adopt the mutual learning approach. So you may want to try that on. See how it fits. And start with just that very simple action. State your views and ask genuine questions. So you're not just saying what you think, leaving it at that. You're not just asking questions and leaving it at that. You're doing both. Give it a shot. Let me know how it goes. I'd love to hear from you. You can write Wharton.upen.edu or contact me via Twitter, at Stu Friedman. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me.